Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. One thing you've heard me complain about, whine maybe about, let's say, let's say lament. One thing that I've lamented is the lack of interesting new experimental journalism startups in Canada. Comes up a lot. A lot of old stuff dying, not a lot of new stuff springing forth, trying out new ideas. That is not to say, however, that there is no new experimentation in Canada, no new journalism startups, no new ideas being tried out. There is a light smattering and they are worthy of attention. And uh, one thing I want to do is start paying some attention to them. And the first one that I want to talk about is Ricochet. It's a project based in Montreal. It sort of popped up out of nowhere, at least to my attention, on uh, May 20th. I just noticed a lot of people on Twitter started to follow Ricochet. And I checked out their website, which you can have a look at at ricochetmedia.ca. It was very well put together, and it took me to their Indiegogo page. 
And I watched their video and I looked at the campaign. It was very slick and well put together, nicely produced. But the spiel was one, you know, that I'm familiar with. There's too much corporate media in Canada. We need alternative voices. Definitely agree with that. But I was curious about exactly what they were doing and how they were going to do it. Because I noticed that they had set their target at $75,000, which in Canada for a journalism project seems pretty high. So I, I have to admit my first response was, good luck to you guys. And then I checked back the next day. And they had raised $10,000 overnight. They're currently at $30,000 towards their $75,000 goal. So now I am really curious. I'm curious about what they plan to do with this money, what Ricochet is all about. And I'm going to be speaking with one of their founders and editors, Ethan Cox, in just a minute. Hold on for it. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Today's episode of CanadaLand is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand, where there are over 150,000 audiobook titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, your MP3 player, your computer. And for you, the listeners of this show, I would like to suggest uh, – actually, I couldn't think of a more perfectly fitting book for, for, for this audience. The Imperfectionists by Tom Rachman. Have you read this book? It's all about the death of a newspaper. And I just love this book. It really is a loving tribute to the culture of a newspaper. Uh, Tom Rackman worked at the International Herald Tribune, and he just gets it right. Just like the assemblage of weirdos and really dedicated strange people who seem to watch up in a newsroom and what happens as their world is crumbling 
It's funny and sad. It's read by the actor Christopher Welch, who you may have seen in Silicon Valley. He played Peter Gregory, the weirdo uh, kind of Asperger's-y investor on the show Silicon Valley, where he's great. And I just found out that he died halfway through shooting that first season. So that's a bit of a bummer that I have for some reason included in this pitch for you to go to audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand to sign up for audible.com and download your free audiobook, The Imperfectionists, or something else. Go do it. Hey, Ethan. Hey, Jesse. How you doing? I'm well. Listen, I'm going to ask you a lot of, of questions about Ricochet. I'm very curious about it. And, uh, I imagine some of these questions will be fairly annoying, uh, like, you know, the, the, the kind that I'm used to, like when I'm at a family function and some uncle is like podcasting ha, and you make a living from that, you know, th- that kind of question. But before I do that, I should start by congratulating you because it's quite something in just a few days. You've got over 500 donors and almost $30,000. And, you know, it, it's I would even say it's uh, without giving any specific endorsement because I don't actually know what you're doing. It is inspiring as somebody who is also very interested in do people want independent media? Are they willing to support it? It's it's really great to see uh, some success. So uh, muzzle tov. Yeah, thank you, Jesse. It's uh, it's a project that's been, I guess, almost two years in the works, conceptually at least. And so when you work on something for so long uh, in the shadows, you know, keeping it largely a secret uh, by necessity, you always have this hesitation that when you go out and you launch it in public, nobody's going to care and nobody's going to give you money and, and nobody's going to want what you're doing. So it's 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 been tremendously gratifying and tremendously humbling to see the the reception that the project has gotten over the last couple of days. So why has it gotten that? I mean, you have received uh, pretty significant funding as like a Canadian crowdfunded project goes for a project that does not exist yet. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of things like 99% Invisible, where the guy did a season and everyone loved it. And then he went to his audience and said, hey, give me money so I can do more. But you have gotten, I guess that averages out to 60 bucks a person to 500 people for something that doesn't exist yet. Who are these people? Why are they giving you money? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I obviously, without attempting to speak for anyone, I, I think that we've been extraordinarily lucky and hit on a good idea at the right time. Um, and you can have a great idea; the timing can be wrong, and it doesn't work. And I, and I think that right now in the media landscape in Canada, everybody knows that media is in crisis. The funding model is broken, and I think for for your average consumers at home, it's becoming increasingly inescapable that there's something wrong with the quality of the media that they're consuming. If they've been reading a daily newspaper for the last ten or twenty years, they will have noticed the the downward spiral of of, of the content through no fault of the journalists, but uh, but through what they're being asked to do. And so I think it's come to a point now where people are are beginning to make the connection that if they want to see good independent media, they have to pay for it. Um, Because right now, the, the proposition that we're making to Canadians is that we find ourselves at a crossroads. The media is in crisis and we can go down one of two roads. One of those roads is the, the root of native advertising, where the, the, the advertising and the corporate interests become so pervasive that they become the content. Um, and we've seen examples of that with the deal that uh, Post Media had with the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, for instance. Sure. And I think that the other route that, that we can go down is the route where people reach into their own pocket and choose to, to pay very minimal amounts, but if enough people do it, uh, to support the kind of media that they want to see. 
And, and we've been very lucky to, to be able to put together a team of, of some of the best young journalists across the country to get the support of, of prominent names like Noam Chomsky, Linda McQuaig, Judy Rabbit, Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois. And, and I think people have, have responded to this because they're, they're thirsty. They're, they're hungry for investigative journalism, for, 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 for independent media. And, and that's tremendously exciting, I think, for all of us that work in media to see. Okay, so did you just throw out the word to the internet that you're doing independent media and you've got the support from these big names and then people responded or was there an existing network that you tapped? Well, uh, it's, it's, it's largely a matter of throwing it out into the internet and seeing what happens. Uh, we've, we've got a big team. Um, and so this is a bilingual publication. We, we have a team of, of Francophones in Quebec. We have a team of Anglophones from across the country, including in Quebec. And, uh, and we've been extraordinarily lucky to work with Laszlo Bonet, who's, uh, to my mind, one of the best web developers uh, working right now. And he's, uh, he's part of our team. He's, he's volunteering like the rest of us. And, and he's been able to add a really professional uh, Player to everything that we're doing, he's the one that's going to be building the website for us, and so I think uh, I think it was it was again uh, the, the the right idea at the right time, uh, packaged well thanks to Laszlo and uh, and with a lot of a lot of names that people recognized attached to it. It, it. it took a long time to put this together. You know, we just we put it out into the world last Wednesday, but it's been it's been many months of of preparation to get to this point. But I, I still don't actually know what it is you're doing. Like, I, I know what you're not. I know it's not corporate media. I know that it's independent. I know that you're setting out to cover the stories that other guys aren't. But what does that mean? Can you, can you kind of ground that a little bit for me? Like, what, what can I expect to get from Ricochet that is currently not available? Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost is investigative journalism. Uh, that's something that's really fallen by the wayside in recent years because, of course, it's expensive, it's time-consuming, and, and it's contrary to the model of instant news that's become pervasive on the web. Um, so, so we're going to have a strong focus on investigative journalism. To flesh that out a little bit, um, one of the first investigative projects, which has already been commissioned, and, and one of those pieces is going to be coming out sort of as an example of the work uh, shortly, um, we commissioned two journalists, uh, Michael Lee Murphy uh, in, in New England and, uh, and Emma Pullman in British Columbia, both of whom experienced uh, investigative journalists with really solid track records, um, to look into oil by rail and, and pipelines. And, and to work collaboratively to, to put together a package of reporting that would really explore some of the issues that haven't been looked at here. And, and oil by rail has increased by, uh, I think, almost 6,000% over the last couple of years. And there hasn't really been much looking into what the impact of that is, what the safety, I mean, obviously we've looked around Lake, Lake Megantic at the safety, but, but I, I don't think there's been enough investigation into what that means. Um, coupled with that, there will be a focus on high-profile opinion. Um, so writing from people like Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois, Linda McQuaig, uh, and like I say, Dowson, uh, more prominent people. Um, we want to be a platform for, uh, for, for, for debate, for, for, for interesting ideas, for, for, for cutting-edge opinions. And then along with that, uh, we're also going to be, uh, be doing news and analysis of a more traditional sort. And, uh, and providing a blogs platform as well for, uh, for less formal writing from people like uh, Quebec's Anarcho Panda and, and what have you. Okay. So how much of this like grew out of things like, uh, like Idle No More and, uh, you know, like the student protests in Montreal, like, you know, there's, uh, in, in Quebec, there, there was sort of, uh, a, a recent moment of, uh, very left-leaning uh, youth movement kind of nightly protests. Is this sort of the, uh, 
the the soapbox of that movement? Well, it's not the soapbox of that movement, but it did grow out of that movement in the sense that I was working as a journalist in 2012 covering the student protests and became just incredibly frustrated, and so did many of my colleagues on the French side, uh, with what a pro- profound disconnect there was between coverage in English and in French, and, and really with what we, people were being told in the rest of the country about what was happening in Quebec, because for those of us on the ground, uh, most of what was being reported in English media and the rest of Canada bore no relation to the reality. Um, people were being fed a line about sort of riots and, and danger and, and, and insurrection and things being out of control, and, and nothing could be further from the truth. So really with this project, in 2012, I think it became clear to us that first and foremost, we needed to change the media. And whatever other improvements we wanted to make in society, until and unless we changed the media, we were not going to be able to change the world. And so that was, that was the driving motivation. And then the secondary thing was to provide a bridge uh, between Quebec and the rest of the country. Because the communication uh, across that provincial border has historically been terrible. And, and the lack of efficient communication leads to misunderstanding, leads to anger, leads to all of these problems around the national question. And I think that we're facing a very uncertain future with climate change, with pipelines, with all of these things. And it's essential that people in Quebec and the rest of the country are able to communicate across that language barrier and are able to exchange ideas with each other. And that was what we wanted to provide with Ricochet. I think maybe we, we, we've kind of uh, hit upon it here. I mean, I remember when that was happening, friends of mine who were kind of participating in the casseroles every night uh, would read in English media that this was all a bunch of, uh, you know, students who were making a big fuss about nothing, just like minor, you know, hikes to tuition that was already really cheap. And they were pulling their hair out with frustration and rage. That, that is not what it was about to them. Uh, I, you know, I, it, to my earlier question of like what actually mobilizes people to like get out their credit cards and say, I want this to exist. I think maybe you tapped into that frustration. Like there's a, a real firm desire there. Like there needs to be another way to get a message out. Yeah, absolutely. And and so coming back to the basics, coming back to investigative journalism is really something that, that people respond to and, and, and people want to see an independent perspective on what's going on around them. And, and one that again bridges that divide between Quebec and the rest of the country. So you were covering this for Rabble. I was. What uh, what happened there? That's an independent voice. Uh, definitely interested in the kind of progressive, you know, read left issues that uh, that you're interested in pursuing with Ricochet. So what's what's wrong with Rabble? Well, there's nothing wrong with Rabble. Um, I, I think the problem in Canada is that there's a real dearth of independent media. If we look at the United States, there's there's a lot of outlets. There's a lot of really good outlets that provide a platform for really good journalists to do important independent journalism. And in, in Canada, there aren't. There are some great outlets. Uh, there's the TIE in British Columbia, the Vancouver Observer as well out there. There's Press Progress, which has just been launched by the Broadband Institute. And I've really liked what they've been doing in terms of uh, taking more complex information and putting it into visuals and graphics uh, that can be shared easily on the web. So, so I think there's a lot of good things happening out there, but that doesn't mean we can't or we shouldn't have more. And, and at Ricochet, um, we, we want to collaborate with all other forms of independent media, not compete with them. Uh, so we foresee content sharing arrangements. We've, we've been in contact with the outlets I just mentioned, with the youngest, with, uh, with a bunch of outlets, uh, French outlets in Quebec that people might not be aware of. And, and we really want to provide a hub for independent media in this country that supports and encourages uh, a multiplicity of viewpoints and a multiplicity of voices. 
Well, you say there's nothing wrong with rabble. You'll, you'll have to excuse me for being a bit coy. I, you know, I do know that you had a falling out with them, you, you know, and, and you wrote a letter that got a lot of play. You questioned their journalistic independence. Uh, you wrote about their egregious uh, approach to labor standards, which is ironic given that they're funded largely by labor unions. Uh, you wrote about how you were working there without pay, and uh, you questioned their decision to get rid of uh, the editor, Derek O'Keefe. You also accuse them of censoring legitimate opinions. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about the failure of that organization? I mean, it, it sounds like there's something there. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a situation where it's not an institutional failure. There was one person, the publisher at Ravel, who took a bunch of decisions that, that to my mind, were, were inappropriate, that fired the, the editor on a week's notice with no cause uh, because he didn't go along with, uh, with some censorship that she wanted to do. But at the end of the day, Ravel is much more than the publisher. Ravel is a collection of writers, it's a collection of bloggers, and it's, 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 it's a great outlet. And I like the people there, they're my friends, uh, you know, I have nothing against the people that are there at Ravel, but it can be built upon and we can do things like pay writers. And, and I think, you know, one of the frustrations with Rabble is that it was always being run on such a shoestring budget that there wasn't the capacity to pay writers. And one of the foundational principles of Ricochet is we're going to pay writers for their work. We don't believe in unpaid writing. And we think that it's critically important to resist the, the Huffington Post model of journalism, which has devalued the work of journalists to the point where we're all supposed to work for uh, experience and exposure and and somehow use that to pay the rent and and put food on the table. And so I think it's really important to have a national mainstream independent outlet that pays its writers and that reaches out to uh, as wide a swath of Canadians as possible. So one distinction is you're going to pay your writers, and that's a great one. Another one, I assume, is is you you say that Rabble was censoring. I assume you're not going to. What was Rabble censoring? Well, I I, I don't want to get into to. to too much with Ravel. The the bottom line is we're we're very thrilled uh, with with Ravel. It's it's an important institution. It's done a lot of great work. Uh, we think there are great people working there, great people writing for that website, and uh, and we look forward to collaborating with them in the future. <laughs> You're being very diplomatic, but I mean I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 not just looking for dirt. Like I'm really interested in how it is that something establishes itself, and and Rabble's like not that old. It's like under 15 years old, I think. And sets out to do exactly what you're doing, provide an alternative to the corporate controlled media, provide uh, a, a different political viewpoint, and within a short period of time is accused of a lot of the same things that those large corporate media outlets are accused of. So I, I, I ask you because I'm curious how that happened. I'm curious how you're going to uh, fashion ricochet in such a way that that doesn't happen. And I, and I still don't actually know what we're talking about. Sure. Well, there's a couple things. I mean, first of all is the funding model. So by being crowdfunded and by drawing our funding from uh, the majority of our donations are $25. So by drawing our funding in a democratic fashion, we avoid uh, the situation where there are major funders who have the capacity to pull the rug out from under us at any moment and therefore can exert extremely, uh, extremely extreme amounts of influence on the project. It's not that we won't accept institutional funders. It's that they'll be a part of the package and not such a large part of it. And, and I mean, in terms of Rabble, um, what Rabble has become is, is, and it's great, and it serves a tremendous purpose, but it's primarily a platform for, for unedited blog posts. So um, there, there's very little journalism there in terms of certainly not investigative journalism and certainly not uh, staff writers, beat writers, what have you. So, so a lot of what it is, is, is a platform for opinions. 
And that's great. And that serves a tremendously important role. And I think that what Ricochet is trying to provide is something that's complementary to Ravel. I don't see us as competing with Ravel at all. I see us as being complementary, but offering something more, offering uh, investigative journalism, uh, a mainstream audience and, and, and paying the writers, working in both languages, crossing those divides. In many ways, uh, you know, it's it's a question of of reinventing the wheel every couple decades, and I think that Ravel did a lot to to develop independent media in this country, and and we should all be be aware of the fact that 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 we're standing on their shoulders. But I think now with Ricochet, we're able to go further and we're able to do more and bring in Quebec and bring in the French language, bring in the democratic uh, engagement that wasn't possible when Ravel was founded. That that this. You know, this this publication with Ricochet is digital native. It was built for the web um, and it and it shows. And and we're going to be working very hard to uh, to reach out to our readers, to engage them and to make this uh, a participatory experience in media. You say that you're you want to play to a mainstream audience, but you've got this endorsement from Noam Chomsky. I have no problem with the partisan press, but aren't you pretty firmly asserting where this thing stands uh, when you, you know, kind of link it to Judy Rebick and, and, and Noam Chomsky? My understanding is, okay, that's fine. That's another voice in the mix. And, and it seems like it's a, a far left voice I can expect from Ricochet. Well, don't all media outlets? I mean, Kevin Libin at the National Post, a friend of mine, he's the news editor. I like him a lot, but he's one of the most right-wing guys I know. Um, Andre Pratt, the editor at La Presse here in Montreal, is uh, is one of the most opinionated people out there. He takes very strong positions. So so we're, we're not unlike any other media outlet. We're going to have an editorial line. We believe that our readers are better served by us wearing our prejudices on our sleeves than by pretending to be uh, impartial. Uh, and, and pretending that we don't have positions. We absolutely have positions, and this is public interest journalism. The role of Ricochet is to inform the public to make the world a better place, but the truth comes first, and the importance of telling it is paramount, and our first duty and our first loyalty is always to our readers. We will always uh, endeavor to inform them and also endeavor to, to make the world a better place for the people. I don't think that's left or right. I think that's what journalism should be doing. When we go back to the roots of journalism, isn't journalism about speaking truth to power? Isn't it about comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable? That's what we want to do. And that's what journalism was about until maybe 20 years ago. So I see this more as returning journalism to its roots rather than anything else. Yeah, I think that people get confused about this, uh, and I think that actually some of the media has has confused it. I mean, because we have whether it's Sun News and there are like seem like direct connections to 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 Harper and the conservatives, or if it's Rabble or the Tai, where you've got like labor unions as major funders. You know, like Andrew Coyne might be considered a conservative pundit, but he's been kind of merciless to Stephen Harper. Uh, if I hear you right, you 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 serve the public and you serve the truth. You guys lean left. But you're going to speak truth to power, whoever that power is. That's that's the that's the manifesto. If if I get you right, yeah, I think I think you put it well. It's it's a it's a it's about the difference between being progressive and being partisan. Um, we're not going to be partisan. We're going to criticize the NDP and the Conservatives equally when we think they deserve it. We're going to criticize left wing parties. We're going to criticize labor unions. You name it. No punches will be pulled. Um, but yes, our, our, uh, our, our worldview is that we want to, to build a better world, to, to, to actively participate in that. We don't think it's the role of journalism. We don't think it's the role of the media to sit back and be jaded observers in the side hurling pot shots, which is what so much of this comes down to these days. We think it's the role of a free press to participate in making the world better, to hold those in power accountable. 
And, and I think you can do that in a credible way as journalists uh, without being partisan. It just comes down to that distinction between progressivism and partisanship. One of the main distinctions you point out is, uh, you know, that you have this new crowdfunded model where, you know, uh, you're not going to be beholden to some major interest. Uh, and I, 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 can I assume from what you're saying, will there be no advertising in Ricochet? Well, as we all know, online advertising is not a great revenue generator. Um, so no, you, you could totally get like another $9 a month. Uh, if... <laughs> Google ads, eh? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're not going to commit to not having any advertising. Uh, we're going to look at advertising from, from, from ethical advertisers. It's not going to be a, a free for all. Um, we're, we're going to look at advertising, but it's certainly not the, the, the underpinning basis of the funding model, because as we all know, uh, it just, it, it isn't, it isn't a model on the internet that's, that's been able to, to drive the kind of funding that's required. So your model is then like Indiegogo crowdfunding? Is that, is that the main source of revenue? No. So it's a little bit more complicated. So right now we're raising $75,000 on Indiegogo, which is seed money. So that's going to pay to, to create the website, uh, to pay our writers for a while, uh, to cover the, the rent on our office uh, and expenses. But on an ongoing basis, we're building into the website a whole bunch of experimental, sustainable crowdfunding tools. And nobody's ever really tried this before for journalism. The problem with crowdfunding is it's project-based. So it's very hard to take uh, the model of crowdfunding we've seen, which is based on raising money to accomplish an objective, and apply it to an ongoing project like journalism. And so how we're going to try and square that circle is by asking people to sign up to give a recurring small donation, 50 cents, a dollar, what have you, every time that an author they like publishes an article or every time we publish an article on a topic that they care about, say the environment or the border or uh, foreign affairs or, or what have you. So these will be small uh, recurring amounts that come off of people's credit cards and that's going to couple with uh, an annual membership. So our content is all free. We don't believe in paywalls. Everything will be absolutely freely accessible. But we will have an annual membership for $25. And the benefit of membership is that members will be able to uh, vote. For instance, we'll put forward three proposals for a long-form investigation, three pitches that we've gotten from investigative journalists, and ask our members to vote and choose between them. So we're really trying to engage our readers in the process, in the editorial process, asking them to direct our content while implementing serious safeguards to make sure that, that money isn't driving the content and people aren't able to influence too much through their dollars. So we're hoping that, that this model will allow us to prove an ongoing and sustainable form of crowdfunding that nobody's ever tried before for journalism. If we're correct in our assumptions, and we have every reason to, to be optimistic where, where, where uh, crowdfunding has been tried for journalism in the past, it's, it's almost always succeeded massively. Uh, if we're able to prove this new model of crowdfunding for journalism, it will be a model that can be exported uh, around the world. Does that mean that the uh, tech that you're uh, developing around this will be made available to people? Is it going to be uh, open source, the, the funding mechanism that uh, Decoder is building? <laughs> um, yeah, I think so. We, we haven't really gotten that far to discussing that, but, uh, but our approach to everything is collaborative. Um, we're big fans of open source software. Uh, we're not really big fans of proprietary anything. So, uh, so I imagine that we'll be working with anybody that wants uh, to, uh, to help them to, to build better media. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to work with any and all comers to build a better media because we believe Canadians deserve that. 
Well, I got to tell you, and this is something that I would say, even if uh, your endorsement was from Ron Paul and not Noam Chomsky, <laughs> uh, it's it's tremendously exciting, and uh, you know, it's I have no idea if it's going to work. It's exciting to see that it's uh, catching a little bit of uh, a fire already. I hope it works. Uh, I hope that a dozen more people do it. It's it's terrifically uh, exciting to see uh, something like that happen here in Canada, and I really think that the one goal of bridging that divide between the, uh, French culture and, and English is uh, an admirable one. There's just such a ferment in French Canada and uh, such a robust political conversation, and it is completely hermetically sealed from the kind of conversation the rest of us are having. Uh, can I take from that that it, will you be presenting all the French journalism in English and vice versa? No. So, so we're not going to translate everything. We're going to have an English and a French editorial board, which both work autonomously, commission their own pieces, etc. Um, however, uh, we do have an overarching board, which is composed of the English and the French editorial board together. And that's what's going to be making big decisions. And on uh, important topics, we'll put out uh, joint editorials in both French and English, which are the joint position of, of both the English and the French editorial board. And we will be translating important pieces. So basically what it comes down to is we're not committing to, to translate every piece of journalism that we put out there. But when something is important, uh, when we see something that we think is important that's been written in French that people should read in English or vice versa, then we're going to be translating that and putting, out, put, putting that out there. Yeah, I wonder how you could do that. I, I get your point. That must be just an incredible resource drain if you were to commit to total uh, translation of everything. <laughs> but it would be – I mean I'd love to chop it up with uh, journalists from French Canada. Like you know, th this whole social media thing that's happening where the conversation continues on Twitter. Again, it's just these two solitudes recreating themselves online. Uh, it's a shame. I wonder, if, I wonder if there's an app for that. I wonder if there's a way to overcome that. Well, it's, it's, it's been fascinating to watch this crowdfunder go because all the success that we've had, it's, it's at least half of the donations have actually come in from Quebec. So it's been fascinating. People have this perception that, you know, Quebecers are all sovereigntists and hate Canada and, you know, what have you. But the fact of the matter is nobody's more desperate for this model of interaction and exchange than people here in Quebec. And, and so at this point, I mean, you, you were saying earlier that you hope that the, the model succeeds. But it's not even a question of hope. It's a question of whether people will embrace it. Because if journalists cover this and put this out in the mainstream media and expose this, if Canadians say, yes, I'm, I'm fed up with the way things are, I want something better, I'm going to give you $5, I'm going to give you $25, then the model will succeed. Because it boils down to this. If we are correct in our bet, and our bet is that Canadians have had enough, that they are infuriated enough with the crisis in media that they are ready to dig into their pockets and pay for something better. If that bet is correct, then, then this project will succeed and hopefully will we'll pave the way for, for a whole new way of, of, of operating journalism in the public interest. Because if we fail and if we're not able to figure out a way to get Canadians to chip in, to get people to fund truly independent journalism, I shudder to think where we're going to be in 10 or 15 years because already so much of our mainstream media coverage is directly influenced by corporate interests. It's a handful of corporations that own most of the media in this country, and that's not good for our democracy. That's not good for this country. So if Canadians rally around this and other projects like this, and, and vote with their dollars to, to build independent media, then I think we're going to have a much brighter future and whatever issues people care about are going to be better served by an independent media that can investigate and report on them. 
Well, Ethan, I'll, I'll, I'll offer you some unsolicited advice. I, I, I don't think people will pay you because they hate the other guy's stuff. And, and, I, <laughs> and, I, and I don't think people will pay you because they love your idea. But I think that they might pay you uh, if they love your content. And uh, I, I look forward to reading your content. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be putting out some, uh, some sample work uh, before the end of the crowdfunder. Uh, so people can look forward to that. Uh, we're going to have a, a couple of uh, couple of investigative pieces, uh, a column here or there to give uh, give kind of an idea. But if you go on the website at ricochetmedia.ca, you can see some of our contributors. It's it's just a fraction, but uh, you can get a sense of, of of who the people are that are involved. Uh, a lot of them have published work online that you can check out and and get a sense of of, of what kind of stuff we're going to be doing. Good luck. Thanks so much, Jesse. That's your Canada Land podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Email me. I read them all. I respond when I can. I'm at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I'm on Twitter at jessebrown. The website for this show can be found at canadalandshow.com. I make this show with Christopher DeMello. You can sign up for your free audiobook at audibletrial.com slash canadaland. And the next podcast will be up on Monday. If you like this show, recommend it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.